and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have made them become more real to us because we believe that helps us apply them to our lives more and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Carrie Mulestein, and I'm so happy to have with me as my guest, my, my good friend and colleague, Ryan Sharp, who is a, a professor uh, in the same department I am in ancient scripture at BYU. I taught seminary and institute before that, and uh, I will admit that I sometimes uh, just completely steal his ideas uh, from his class and use them in my class, and every third time I give him credit for it. So uh, he's a, a fantastic teacher, fantastic individual. I believe you're serving in a state presidency right now. Is that correct? Um, uh, so welcome, Ryan. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate being here. And just so you know, uh, the ideas that you may have stolen, I stole from somebody else. So yeah, that's that's how it goes. Three levels deep at this point. Yeah, actually, one of them I think that I use most often, I got from you, but you told me it was from Mark Ellison, so I give him uh, some credit. Uh, that's that's the country song in Isaiah. So yeah. um, uh, and I I had to bring up because uh, you, you can tell if you're watching, and I know most of our audience is just listening, but if you're watching, uh, it seemed painfully obvious to me that uh, Ryan is sitting in a church building. And uh, it, it it turned out to be true. So anyway, uh, there there you are. Tell us what else we should know about you, your family, or uh, your favorite yeah. foods. I don't care what. Uh, yeah, no, the, the biggest thing you should know about me is uh, I am married to uh, Jessica, formerly Farish, the woman of my dreams, and we have six boys. So our oldest is turning 17 in just a couple of uh, weeks, and then we have an almost two-year-old. So we've got... Uh, junior and high school challenges and two-year-old challenges and everything in between. We love them. It's crazy. We spend most of our time at ball fields, basketball courts, and in the mountains trying to not destroy our house. But uh, <laughs> that, that probably is the, the the biggest thing you should know about me. And and uh, that kind of represents uh, how, how we spend our time. So I, yeah. I got a, a bachelor's degree from BYU and a master's and PhD from a university just north of BYU that probably should remain unnamed uh, <laughs> as, as the rival institution. I, 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 I like the U. Um, that's I, all right. Yeah. I like the U fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to ask what you uh, like to do in your free time, but now I realize you don't have any. Yeah. So there, that's a pointless question. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you had uh, it, it, like an hour of free time in this week, and we are taking it up now. So thank you for that. No, um, I'm happy to do it. I appreciate the opportunity. And we're getting into, I mean, all of the, the New Testament, and especially all of the Gospels, is fantastic stuff. But I think we're getting into the most fantastic stuff as yeah. as we get to these chapters. Um, and uh, we're covering the chapters that deal with the institution of the sacrament, um, and the beginning of the uh, the teachings that uh, from the Last Supper uh, and some of chapter I, they didn't want to like divide the chapters in half I think but some of these chapters cover also time in Gethsemane but I think that actually we have a, a lesson two weeks from now that the focus is Gethsemane as well um, but we can talk about anything in in any of these chapters I will just say that the uh, teachings at the Last Supper that are in the Book of John. Uh, John 13, well, really 12, but but in a lot of ways, 13 through 17 are probably, I mean, they're some of my favorite chapters in all of scripture, just amazing, incredible stuff. And and uh, we're starting that in this one. Yeah, I think it's worth pointing out that uh, John talks hardly at all about 
the sacrament um, and just as all, all about these teachings and the other three gospels, what we call the synoptic writers, they don't talk about these teachings at all. They focus on the sacrament. So it's nice to have both. Um, but it's part of what I love about John. So with that, all, all that long introduction, we're not going to cover all of this. We're only going to, there's, there's no way we could do that even in a three hour podcast. And, uh, we don't want that many people falling asleep while they're driving and dying. So, um, so we're just going to talk about what you, uh, feel you would like to talk about today. What's made it real for you. So where, where should we go, Ryan? Yeah. So what, what I was thinking is maybe we'll use Matthew as kind of our base text and we'll start in Matthew 26. Um, and I was trying to decide if, if we loop in uh, John 13, but now with the, with your comments, I feel like absolutely we need to. Uh, I, I want to wow. share one thought from John 13, but I would also love to get uh, uh, some of your thoughts on it. But maybe if we just started in Matthew 26, verse 1, uh, and I'll, I'll read the first couple of verses here. So it says, it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed uh, to be crucified. So just for some context, um, in that first verse, uh, after Jesus had finished all these sayings, it's talking about the Olivet Discourse in uh, Matthew chapters 24 and 25. Uh, and then he he transitions into this, uh, you know, the, the, this this prophecy, this statement that it's time that that he's going to be betrayed. Um, and then we shift into, uh, in verse 3, then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people under the palace of the high priest who is called Caiaphas. And while that seems like kind of an, an awkward transition, um, chapters 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse, but I think it's important to remember that that's, that's given primarily to the disciples. The last thing that the the kind of the the public, particularly these religious leaders, would have heard uh, is what we see in chapters 21, 22, 23, where we get the so-called entrapment parables, where he is he is calling them out, and then we get the woes that are pronounced in chapter 23. And so we we find Jesus very publicly, very overtly uh, calling out the religious leaders of the day. And so this transition in chapter 26 to this group assembling together, and then in verse 4 it says, and consulted uh, that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. I mean, that all of that is on the heels of his very public um, call, calling out their hypocrisy, particularly with those entrapment parables. Um, and so I, I think that's helpful background to keep in mind as we kind of move forward with this. Yeah, I, I think that's so important to really understand the story that they, they haven't been privy to these, what we could say, kind of uh, a sidebar conversation with the the disciples, this closest yeah. disciples. So it, it will also be important to understand that the, this will help us understand the trial, that the last thing that was said publicly was the Savior talking about how the temple is going to be destroyed which is the very thing they will accuse him of in the trial, right? That was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were, especially for the, the high priests, the Sadducees, the temple is their base of operation. So don't don't mess with this. And that's the last thing you said. And that's what they're going to try to convict him of uh, when he's in that trial. And and we miss the, that continuity if we're not paying attention because we've got all these wonderful teachings inserted in the middle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so so we find them gathered together, consulting one with another. How, how are we going to do this? 
they, they've decided that, that Jesus has got to go, that they're, they're planning to kill him. But then they said in verse five, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. And so that, that that's sort of where things are left. Uh, and then we shift into this beautiful story of this woman uh, coming with the alabaster box of, of precious ointment. Um, and then we come back to the, the story of the betrayal. We, we leave the chief priests and the religious leaders trying to decide how are we going to do this. We can't do it publicly. Uh, there's going to be an uproar. How, how should we do this? And then in verse 14, the unthinkable happens. Uh, then it says, then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them, what will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And for that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Uh, of that moment, Elder Holland said, uh, we know the divine plan required Jesus to be crucified, but it is wrenching to think that one of his special witnesses who sat at his feet, heard him pray, watched him heal, and felt his touch could betray him and all that he was for 30 pieces of silver. Never in the history of this world has so little money purchased so much infamy. And uh, and now the plan, now the plan is set. Um, and, and before we move kind of past this, uh, I want to actually set up one of the things that resonates most with me uh, in in this chapter and in in uh, some of the other surrounding chapters is we we really get this glimpse at who Jesus is. Uh, Elder Maxwell once said, um, there would be no atonement without the character of Christ and and without who Jesus is, particularly uh, in 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 this, I mean, I was going to say extremely difficult, almost impossible situation that he that he finds himself in. And so I want to set it up uh, by sharing a story, actually also uh, a story told by Elder Holland in General Conference several years ago. He told the story of a family who uh, the, the dad was his bishop. Could you imagine being Elder Holland's bishop? Are you a bishop right now? Is that what? Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so but I'm not Elder, Elder Holland's bishop. bishop. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that one. Yeah. So, uh, so, so this this couple they have uh, two children, um, a little boy and a little girl. The little uh, girl is four years old, and her name is Katie, and her older brother's name is Jimmy. And Jimmy is battling leukemia, and I can't imagine what that's like uh, as a parent trying to help uh, in that situation. And so they 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 prayed, they fasted, there were priesthood blessings, they went to the temple. They did everything that they could, obviously uh, consulted the best medical help they could find. Um, and and it was it was exhausting and it was painful and it was difficult for all of them. And so one day um, mom goes to the temple seeking uh, peace that can often come from the temple. And she comes home uh, just exhausted, uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, one of those moments where you walk in and you just think, all right, nobody talked to me. Like, I'm just going to go collapse on the bed. I just, I have to be alone and I have to just rest. Uh, but the problem is she has a four-year-old. And as you know, four-year-olds don't actually believe in rest. And so she walks in the door and immediately this little four-year-old girl comes up and starts tugging on her dress. And and just, I mean, you know what it's like, mom, mom, mommy, mom, hey, mom, mom. And and just almost harassing her mom. And and uh, and the, the, this woman said her first inclination was to say, 
not not now, Katie, I can't do this right now. But she didn't want to regret this moment. Uh, she didn't want to regret uh, any of these moments with her daughter. And so she sort of took a deep breath and turned to her little daughter and said, what is it, Katie? And uh, and Katie uh, looked up at her mom and she had just like a couple of little pieces of paper. Um, again, with, the, with, with experience with four-year-olds, you get a lot of beautiful pieces of paper, drawings, uh, and masterpieces from them. And so she's holding it up and she's like, mom, do you know what this is? And her mom looks at her and she says, you know, what, what is it, Katie? And Katie says, these are the scriptures. And uh, she says, mom, do you know what the scriptures say? And, uh, now if you're a parent and your four-year-old is about to summarize the entire message of the word of God, like you are, you are deeply interested in, in whatever is coming out of her yeah. mouth next. So she kneels down at eye level with this little girl and uh, and she looks at little Katie and she says, Katie, what do the scriptures say? And uh, Katie looks at her mom who's dealing with all of this stuff. And little Katie looks at her mom and says, they say, trust Jesus. And then she drops the papers and just sort of skips away. And, uh, and mom said, I felt near tangible arms encircle me as this beautiful little angel daughter reminds her of the message of scripture, trust Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, connecting that with something other Maxwell said, he said, the more we know of Jesus, the more we will love him. The more we know of Jesus, the more we will trust him. The more we know of Jesus, the more we will want to be like him and to be with him by becoming the manner of men and women that he wishes us to be. And uh, and so as as we kind of launch into this study of the the final week of the Savior's life, particularly uh, the, these moments um, with uh, with his disciples, uh, again we'll get to the the Gethsemane account. We get to the upper chamber as we look at some of these key events. Uh, the the emphasis for me is this this beautiful example of the character of Christ and who he is and what he chooses to focus on during these um, extremely difficult circumstances that he finds himself in. Um, <clears throat> so, so moving forward, the, the decision is made, Judas is betraying him, uh, and now we get to uh, verse 17. So again, this is Matthew 26. And it says, now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, uh, go into the city to such a man and say to him, the master saith, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. And this is where we, we get to, um, in Mark's account, it says uh, they, they come to a large upper room furnished and prepared, and they made ready the Passover. Uh, and so sometimes we talk about the upper room, the upper chamber, like this is this is coming from Mark's account, and this is where Jesus has, has kind of set out and prepared for them to uh, partake of the, the Passover together. Um, and, and it might be just worth noting, I mean, we really don't know, but, but many people believe that this is actually uh, Mark's, or John Mark is uh, seemingly his name, uh, his mother's house. Uh, and that's part of why he's included. Like he knows the room. He probably helped prepare the room. And that's drawn largely from the fact that later in, in Acts like 11 and so on around there, you get the story of Peter. Um, uh, maybe it's Acts 12. So one of those chapters, Peter is uh, in prison and then he run, he, he escapes, the angels deliver him and he runs 
uh, to be with the uh, the disciples, and they've gathered in a big room in John Mark's mother's house. And mm-hmm. so where they're having that big gathering there, people think, well, Mark seems to know a lot of details about what's going on here, and maybe they were having a gathering in the same place. Who knows? But it's an yeah. interesting thought, and and uh, uh, it may be why Mark's the one who's going to include, yeah, it was this nice room, and I worked really hard to make it look nice, <laughs> and and so on. So anyway. I hope you all remember this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, and, and in fact, maybe what we'll do here is launch into uh, John's account. Um, and I, there, there are so many things we could talk about. In the interest of time, I was just going to focus in on uh, verses 34 and 35. But since this is a conversation with us, it, it is there, you mentioned earlier, um, John chapter 13. Uh, I'd love to hear one of your favorite things, Carrie, in, in this chapter and something that you love. Well, uh, okay, that's a dangerous thing to ask me because uh, <laughs> I, I could go on for a while. But um, I love so one of the things that my my uh, listeners, if they've been listening for a while, will note is that I've been trying to point out how we get consistently in John. Uh, I think it's the major theme of John, the Savior talking about his relationship with the Father and how he does yeah. the Father's will, and he he only glorifies the Father. And so it's not surprising to me that here at this hour. That will be, in fact, that's the major theme of 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, right? Each of those chapters has that. But I think it's stated so beautifully here in John chapter 13. So I'll, I'll say it here because you were going to jump, I think you said, to verse 34. Uh, 34, yeah. Yeah. So these are the verses right before that. Uh, verse 31, uh, therefore, well, and, and 30 is when he's just given the sop to Judas to kind of finish up the theme you, you were just talking about, right? Judas yeah. has left. Uh, But verse 31, therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. So there's that relationship again, that he what he's doing is really the father's will and it really glorifies the father. He is just an expression of the father's will. Um, If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. So there you see that. That reciprocal, he is glorifying God, but now God, but God also gives him glory, and and it's in their working in unison. And in chapter fourteen, he's going to introduce how the Holy Ghost is part of that unison, uh, and and that uh, everyone working together. But here he's focusing on the two of them. Uh, it's working in unison that they both receive that glory. And then we get verse thirty-three: "Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come." So now I say unto you, and that's going to be a theme that he'll continue on uh, in the next few chapters, this idea that I'm going somewhere and they'll want to know where you're going. And he's going to teach them about how he's going to be with the father so they can be with the father. But while he's gone, he'll send the Holy Ghost who will also help them be with the father and so on. But he introduces it right there. And then I yeah. think the verses you want to focus on are, are, are we understand them best in that context of this is yeah. him preparing them for how exactly. to join him and the father once he's gone. I, I love it. And you teed that up for me beautifully. Uh, I, well, I, you're I welcome. Listeners, we didn't even prepare that. Uh, that, that was that was so good. Thank you. So, so verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And I don't know if, if you've ever thought this or if you've had students say this, um, but this idea of a new commandment, and and we're saying, wait, is that a new commandment to love one another? Like it, it feels like 
that's been repeated all throughout scripture. In fact, even clear back, I just made a note at a, a cross-reference at Leviticus 19, thou yep. shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Right. This, this commandment is as old as the law itself. Is that is that fair to say? This commandment to love uh, is, is as old as the law itself. And so it now, is. I think there's a new tweak on it in this particular case, exactly. but it is. And in fact, it's just been like days before where that's been highlighted, where we have the lawyer saying, what's the most important thing? And well, love yep. God and love your neighbor. Right. And he's love quoting God. from Leviticus yep. 19 when he says that. So it's it's both old and it has recently been highlighted by the yep. Savior himself. And so, yeah, you have to ask yourself, so what's new about this? So let's let's keep yeah. going there. I, I, I'm curious yeah. to see where you're going with that. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and so I, sometimes with my students, I'll, I'll kind of leave that with them and I'll say, all right, here's Leviticus 19. And I'll do the same thing with the, the two great commandments that you just mentioned and say, so how is this a new commandment? And uh, and they'll they'll uh, almost always just pick up on it's it's not love thy neighbor as thyself in verse 34. It's. Uh, love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, all yes. of a sudden, we're talking about a new level of love. That, that it is leveling up. Yeah, yeah. This, this true charity, this this love like Jesus loves, uh, and, and that is this expectation. He says, in fact, I love verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Um that that's it. it it really is that simple if and and i think this is helpful for us in our own discipleship if i if i want to have this um kind of search for you know how am i doing in my own discipleship what do i need to improve upon uh, one of the primary filters is am i loving others as jesus loves them by this shall all men know that you are my disciples uh if you have love one to another and i i feel like this is at the heart uh of of Jesus's message is at the heart of the gospel. Uh, all the law is fulfilled in this, right? Am I am I going to love others even as Jesus loves them? That's that's so perfectly said, and so so beautiful. And maybe I can again tie it into some themes we've been doing. Yeah. Where uh, I, I I I'm with you 100. This is the new part. It's and I like to use like terminology that my kids who are playing video games understand. Like this is asking you to level up, right? To yeah. uh, uh, in in your loving, but it's also basically in the context that I just talked about. It's saying, okay, if you're going to join me and the Father in our relationship, which is what He's about to talk about a whole bunch. If you're going to do that, you're going to have to change the way you love. It can't be this older level of love. It's got to be a higher level of love. And uh, and that ties in so well with uh, what we just talked about, where he was asked, what are the great commandments, which any listening Jew uh, commandments is equated with. That's our obligation of the covenant. So they're asking, what are the two great obligations in the covenant? And the two great obligations are love God, love your neighbor. And so I'm just going to reemphasize what you just said when I was uh, uh, writing a book. Uh, about a year ago and um, uh, on what is the covenant path and how do you, well, finding the promised blessings that promise, President Nelson asked us to, and then how, how can we, what is the covenant path really in, in a practical way and, and how can we tell if we're on it? And I was thinking through, and I think I mentioned this in another episode, so this may be a little bit of a review, but it's worth reviewing. Uh, in that book, I, I, I was making lists of, okay, well, you know, if you're on your way from baptism to going to the temple and so on and so on, and I think all of that was accurate, but it suddenly occurred to me, 
actually the best barometer for whether you're on the covenant path is are you loving God and are you loving each other, right? Uh, in the same way you just said, that's the core. That's the core of discipleship. And I think, as you said, the Savior just said that. This yeah. is what it means to be a disciple. Love God, love each other. If we're doing that, we're we're in a pretty good place on that covenant path. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think sometimes we overcomplicate things. And I, yeah. I, I really enjoy how Jesus regularly uh, simplifies it, reiterates it, uh, and, and in this case, summarizes discipleship. It's, it's, are, are you loving others as, as I love them? Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I think this accentuates the character of Christ in the sense of he knows what's coming. That That's clear, not just in John's gospel, where Jesus knows everything that's, that's happening. Uh, it, it's true in, in Matthew's gospel as well. He's already uh, told them there in the first few verses of Matthew 26, this is happening uh, you know, his time is at hand. He's going to be betrayed and he's going to be crucified. He's already told them that. And and what does he choose to focus on with his uh, disciples? It, it's love. And, and I think that just, again, shows who he is. Uh, going back now to Matthew 26, where we left off uh, in that uh, in that room. Uh, now, when the even was come, this is Matthew 26, verse 20. He sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And and this is such a, a profound uh, teaching and moment. Uh, in fact, President Uchtdorf, um, uh, well, then President Uchtdorf, now Elder Uchtdorf, gave the, the following. He said, It was our beloved Savior's final night in mortality the evening before he would offer himself as a ransom for all mankind. As he broke bread with his disciples, he said something that must have filled their hearts with great alarm and deep sadness. One of you shall betray me, he told them. The disciples didn't question the truth of what he said, nor did they look around, point to someone else and ask, is it him? Instead, they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say to him, Lord, is it I? I wonder what each of us would do if we were asked that question by the Savior. Would we look at those around us and say in our hearts, he's probably talking about Brother Johnson. I've always wondered about him. Or I'm glad Brother Brown is here. He really needs to hear this message. Or would we, like those disciples of old, look inward and ask the penetrating question, is it I? In these simple words, Lord, is it I, lies the beginning of wisdom uh, and the pathway to personal conversion and lasting change. Uh, and then a, a parallel quote that I love from, uh, again, Elder Maxwell, he says, uh, frankly, it is our prospective selves we betray by holding back whatever the part. No need, therefore, to ask, Lord, is it I? Like the answer to the question, Lord, is it I? Am I the imperfect one? Uh, am I the one making mistakes? The answer is inevitably, yeah, yep, it's you. Uh, and so he says, rather, let us in inquire about our individual stumbling block. Lord, is it this? Is, is this the thing that's keeping me from being fully consecrated? Is this the thing that's keeping me uh, from becoming the man or woman of Christ that he desperately wants us to become, that that even in these final moments, he's inviting us to become. Uh, he's showing us this higher, holier path that that you were alluding to. And, and so on this path, I think these are two really helpful questions. You know, Lord, is it I? And, and the answer to that is inevitably, yeah, there, there's something that we need to work on. There's some uh, there, there's some uh, trait, some habit, some tendency, some sin, whatever it is, uh, there's something that needs to be addressed. 
So then the follow-up question is, is it this? Is is this the thing that I need to uh, to consecrate, to place on the altar uh, so that I can take that next step? Uh, you were saying level up to, to take that next step in, in my discipleship. So anyway, I love that application from this, uh, this really sacred moment uh, with Jesus and the disciples. That now um, everyone can see why I wanted to have you on. That's good. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> you're making me think of all sorts of things that I need to do differently. But anyway, that's okay. Uh, well, we'll keep moving. Yeah. Well, I I think uh, that that's all of us. Like I said, it's it's uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the answer to the question, Lord, is it I? It's yep, it's me, and I need to uh, I need to improve. So Jesus's answer to this question, Lord, is it I? Uh, in verse 23, and he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish the same shall betray me. Uh, the Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Uh, then Judas, which betrayed him, uh, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. And, and so that kind of closes the loop on that part of the conversation. And then we get into verse uh, 26. And, uh, and verses 26 through 30 is where we get the institution of the sacrament. Uh, before we dive into that, though, was there anything you were, wanted to add to that, Carrie? I don't want to keep uh, uh, no. moving forward I, if you wanted to touch on anything else. No, I, I think that's great. I, I guess I'd just add, as we're trying to syncretize uh, John and, and Matthew and Mark and Luke, uh, it's hard to know where those teachings that we just read in John chapter 13 fit in, because he has it right after the uh, right after Judas um recognizing this but he also has that kind of midway through the dinner and stuff so anyway it's hard to know exactly where and i'm just not going to worry about it too much <laughs> very good um so so i want to settle in then on on uh, verse 26 um and as they were eating jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the to the disciples and said take eat uh, this is my body and he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed uh, for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung in him, uh, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And then it goes on from there, and and they uh, obviously make their way toward the, the Garden of, of Gethsemane. Um, you mentioned earlier um, Mark Ellison and and how uh, I had stolen an idea from him. I I do give him credit, uh, and then you, uh, you you've been using that. I wanted to share something that he uh, he had shared with me that that I think is really interesting when it comes to this moment in the Last Supper. And he he kind of poses the question, um, who was at the Last Supper? Uh, usually, when we have uh, artwork. Um, it's it's Jesus and the twelve, and uh, and he makes a really interesting uh, case, and I think a compelling case that that there are others as well. Oh, I um, think so. Yeah, and, yeah, and and I'll I'll share a couple, and then I would love to, uh, you know I'm I'm you you've thought of this, and and I'd love to get some of your thoughts on it as well. Uh, some of the things that uh, that Dr. Ellison pointed out, uh, he mentioned that in the synoptics, Jesus planned to eat with his disciples. And the disciples have prepared the meal, uh, and and he just points out that the term dis disciple is kind of a general category. It's it's all who are following Jesus, uh, and then it it accentuates the twelve apostles. And so when you see the twelve, this is obviously 
talking about those who were uh, chosen from the ranks of the disciples to be specifically called as apostles. Uh, he mentioned that there were women traveling with Jesus uh, and the 12 to Jerusalem. That, um, that if this is the, the Passover meal, uh, traditionally it's a family meal with women and children present as well. Women are customarily serving um, this meal. Um, in Mark chapter 14, it says the one who would betray him, uh, it says it is one of the 12. That's an odd thing to say if it's only the 12 people who are actually there. Um, and, and then he also pointed out in Mark 14, after I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. And then in chapter 16, the angel tells the women at the tomb to tell Jesus's disciples they'd see him in Galilee as he said unto you, and he said that on the night of the Last Supper, uh, again, the assumption being that women were also present uh, there uh, for this event. But I'd love to get any, what else would you add to that? Yeah, and I mean, even with that last one, it's possible that the you uh, refers to the apostles, but I think you can also read it the way you're suggesting. I think that's a very valid reading of it. Um, so all of those things, I would also, again, say they're at someone's house, and it's possible that they said, okay, you and your family, you go do this downstairs. We'll be in the nice room upstairs. Um, but it's more likely that that family is involved in, as you said, that the uh, and maybe this is uh, John Mark's family, and maybe his, his mother is part of the, who is doing the serving and preparing and others as well and uh, and so on. Uh, but it's hard to, to picture him like subdividing in this house and making them do it's not impossible, but it's hard to to picture him uh, making them do their Passover in a little corner of the house somewhere while he does this other thing. Um, it, it's all we can't none of these prove it for sure, but there are just enough little clues to make you think, yeah, it doesn't say it's just the 12. It, it says uh, disciples and it's characteristic. Everything else the Savior was doing up until that point had more than just the apostles there. So it would suggest they're probably still in that case yeah and 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 assuming that's the case again i think these are textual clues uh nothing is definitive when it comes to this but but if we make the assumption uh that that there it wasn't just the 12 that there were women and children present um what a beautiful image particularly when we draw the parallel then to the sacrament and the institution of the sacrament and, and the most sacred uh, meeting that we have in the church uh, we have everyone gathered together uh, yep. within families, men, women, children coming together. We, we've been talking about the, the covenant throughout our discussion today. Uh, and, and here we are uh, at, at the sacrament table uh, as families um, covenanting with the Lord and, and seeking to demonstrate um, our commitment to him, uh, our willingness to take upon us his name and doing that together uh, with with our families, uh, obviously one of one of the beautiful moments. Um, speaking of of the sacrament, and and I don't know if if there are other things that that you're you know hoping to take us to, but uh, recognizing that um, the next thing that happens in in chapter twenty six is we get into Gethsemane, and as much as I would love to go into that, I did see that the Come Follow Me uh, curriculum has uh, really us going into that depth on that in Luke twenty twenty two. So I'll, I'll avoid the temptation to get us uh, in, into that right now. But um, maybe if we could just kind of settle in on this, uh, this application of the sacrament and, and the role the sacrament plays in, in our lives. 
Uh, I love the, the passage in the Doctrine and Covenants that talks about how it's in the ordinances of the priesthood that the power of godliness is manifest. And the power of godliness is that power to make us clean, the power to uh, to, to forge a, a godly soul. And, and these ordinances are a crucial part of that. And this opportunity that we have weekly to, to gather together. Um, sometimes when I'm teaching the, the Sermon on the Mount in my classes, and we get to the part where um, where Jesus talks about vain repetitions, and we'll we'll talk about the uh, the the Hebrew that is translated as vain. Uh, sometimes is translated as like babbling. Uh, that the vain repetition is like these babblings, and and the Greek is it's 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 hollow. Um, and so I'll I'll pose the question to them, and I'll say, uh, do you do you think it's possible to uh, use different words from prayer to prayer and have it still be a vain repetition. And they, of course, say, yeah, you know, no matter what words you use, you're using, if it's, they don't use the word hollow, but if it's kind of a hollow prayer and you're just going through the motions, um, that, that probably could classify as a vain repetition. And then I'll do the kind of inverted question and say, um, do you think it's possible to say the same exact words and have it not be vain repetition? And they'll kind of say yes and shake their their heads yes, and then I'll I'll just say okay defend yourselves like to, how how would you say um, that I could use the same words in a prayer and and oftentimes they'll say well if it's sincere then then it counts you know we're we're always hoping that God will bless our food that it will nourish and strengthen our bodies I may really mean that every time or yeah. really and then we get home from church so. safely yeah yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, bless those who aren't here this week that they can come next. Like we may really mean that every time we say it. Um, but, but almost inevitably in my classes, uh, a, a student will raise their hand and they'll say the sacrament prayer. And they'll say, we use the same words uh, every week. In fact, if we miss a word or if, if we use the wrong words, we have to do it again. And, uh, and so then I'll just sort of explore with them so what what does that mean I, and and i'll just i'll i'll invite them to think and i think myself are, are there times where i have gone uh to the sacrament table um and had it be a vain repetition where i just went through the motions and i'm i'm sad to confess to uh all of your audience here yeah there are to be honest like there are times where i'm distracted by something I'm exhausted. It was a late night and an early morning, and and my mind isn't where it should be. Or your uh, two-year-old is pulling your ear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and uh, unfortunately, where I'm in the state presence, I'm I'm on the stand, so he's yeah. pulling my wife's ear. Um, yeah. Uh, sometimes it'd be good to have him pull mine to to wake me up, but. Um, <laughs> And I'll just add to that, besides yeah. that, those things, like there are times where uh, I'm, even if I'm thinking about good things, I'm not thinking about what we're saying, but I, I've found it interesting. I actually am struggling more with really paying attention to the meaning of the words while I'm a, a bishop than I ever have, because it's my job to make sure that the right words are being said. And I yeah. take that pretty seriously, but sometimes it's hard to both do that and pay attention to the actual meaning. And I think that I have, uh, it's been harder and harder and it's longer and longer in between having that prayer be as meaningful for me since I've been a bishop than it was before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I think that there are a number of things that might be pulling us away from truly, I, I love the, 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 you know, the term communion, uh, yeah. true, keeping us from truly communing with God. It, it could be a number of things. 
But fortunately, I've also had those times in the sacrament where I absolutely have connected with God, where yeah. I have communed with God. And it's the same words. It's the same prayer. But I, I truly have connected with God in those sacred moments. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I'm so grateful for those, the, the, the healing that comes, the revelation that comes, the, the strength that comes, the enabling grace, the confidence to move forward in whatever it is that I have uh, the, the rest of that day, the rest of that week with decisions that my wife and I are are making, um, forgivenesses that I'm I'm seeking to give and forgiveness that I'm always seeking to obtain, um, truly engaging in prayer, even though it's the same words, uh, I think the sacrament is a powerful example of that. That that it it uh, it's not hollow, it's not vain, uh, it's not empty, uh, it's full, and and my heart and soul are full as I commune with God at the at the sacrament table. Beautifully said, beautifully, and it's not. Uh, I, I guess we should think of not just during the prayer, but during the entire sacrament thing, and that's when it's uh, for me easier uh, to make sure it's easier for my mind to wander. And it's also easier for me to make sure that I'm truly having that communion that yeah. you're talking about. So yeah, uh, wonderful. Yeah. Maybe, um, can I just share one more quick story, uh, as we wrap up, unless there are other things you were wanting to. Yeah. Well, I'd love to, to talk, talk about the, the institution of the sacrament a little bit more, but if it, I don't know if your story is about that or if it's, uh, uh, no, go ahead. Something. That would okay, be great. Yeah. So yeah. I, I can't help but do this. I'm actually in the middle of writing a, a, a book about Easter right now. And so this is a big, mm -hmm. I've been going through this exact thing quite a bit. And uh, because of the other things I've been working on, I see some, some pretty serious covenant connections in here. And I think it's, it's worth um, thinking about, first of all, the, the, I think it's such a, a, an incredible and wonderful just transition from the Passover, which was designed to look forward to Christ's atoning sacrifice, to Christ becoming the Lamb of God, to being saved by the blood of the Lamb, uh, to looking back on the sacrament, which is or on the on the atoning sacrifice, which is what the sacrament does, right? And here, mm -hmm. while it's slightly before, it's just barely before that atoning sacrifice, yeah. right? And we get this transition. And the transition happens uh, maybe even more smoothly than we recognize. So if we were to go... I'm actually going to uh, look instead. There's a couple of different wording differences. So I know we do Luke 22 a different time, um, but th there are a couple of wording differences in the Luke account that I'd like to just highlight. So um, in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, when it talks about the sacrament, it, you know, after he breaks the bread, it, it says, he gave unto them saying, this is my body. And he's got that in the Matthew account, but he doesn't have this next uh, part in there. Well, it, this is my body, which is given for you. Here's the different part. This do in remembrance of me. So uh, that's worth highlighting because there is a part of the Passover where you take uh, this unleavened bread uh, and, and you break it and you take a part of that and you say, you eat this in remembrance of the lamb. And it would seem that it's at that spot in the, the, the uh, ritual, the ritual meal. And it, it, it's hard to tell with the, the, uh, the wine we actually there is a little clue to tell us exactly where it is in the in the whole ritual meal but with this one it's it's not fully apparent but that breaking of the bread is right before the the drinking of the cup of wine that we see with the, the wine so i think it probably is right at that part where you say remember the lamb 
and, but he changes it, right? He who is the Lamb of God, John calls him that, Nephi calls him that, and so on, right? He changes it instead of saying, do it in remembrance of the Lamb. It, it's probably not different that he's breaking bread and saying, let's eat this. Uh, it's different that he's saying, in remembrance of me. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I think that's that's uh, powerful. Uh, then there is uh, you, there are certain oh, uh, certain number of uh, cups of wine that you're supposed to drink as part of the Passover. And we don't know exactly what it was like in their day. We know it better from uh, a while after that and how it's recorded. But it's clear they were supposed to drink uh, several cups of wine. And it seems like it's. Um, the same because it talks about the cup of wine you drink after dinner and that's there is a specific cup of wine you drink after dinner and the the order it is at least now and and probably uh, it was at least somewhat similar then and it's when he drinks that cup that he says this cup is the new and the way it's translated for us the new testament in my blood which is shed for you now there are two phrases in there that i think are worth um noting first of all the word testament and uh, that comes from a, a Greek um, word, uh, synethike. Uh, no, sorry, it comes from the word diathike, all right, which is a, an interesting choice. When the Jews were translating the, uh, the Old Testament or their scriptures into Greek, um, there, was a, there are a couple of words they could have chosen to translate the word covenant. And they chose um, diathike, which which kind of means like by means of placement or through placement or so on. But it's 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 come to mean like a will or a testament, arranging your affairs and making a will or testament. And that's why we translate it as testament. But I don't think it's the word that best captures the word covenant. And I would have preferred that they they had translated it. There are a number of things that the, when they were translating, uh, I would have preferred they'd done a little differently. But anyway, uh, with the word synethike which literally means like to put together, to place two mm. things together. And I think that really captures the meaning of covenant, which is to, to create this relationship with God and put the, the two together, right? Um, one way or the other, it's really clear that when he says testament or, or when it, it's translated as testament, what is really meant is covenant. Mm. And he's saying uh, this is the, the new covenant, right? The, the cup is the new covenant We'll get to in my blood in a second, the, the new covenant. And his uh, audience is immediately going to recognize that there's a, a verse in Jeremiah uh, chapter 31 where uh, the Savior talks about uh, that he's going to make a new covenant. It's it's clear. It's really the old covenant. The new part about it will be that it will be in their hearts rather than just going through the motions. It will be in their hearts. Um, and it's also interesting that he says, uh, it's the new covenant in my blood, because the in uh, Leviticus, when I mean, sorry, in Exodus, when Moses takes uh, the house of Israel and makes the covenant with them, he offers a sacrifice and sprinkles some of the blood on the altar of the sacrifice. But then he sprinkles blood on Israel as they enter into the covenant. And he says, this is the blood of the covenant. So when uh, his apostles and, and I, other disciples that are there hear him say, uh, this is my blood, uh, or this is the, the the new covenant of my blood. They have to be making these covenant connections. Oh, the, like the, the blood of the covenant that happened with Moses at Exodus. And uh, he, I, he's not speaking Greek, right? I, he's probably speaking Aramaic, but I, he's, I'm, I'm positive he's using the word covenant there. And mm -hmm. so they recognize that this is covenant renewal and that 
the sacrifices that Moses had made or the sacrifice of the Passover, all these sacrifices that they've thought of so often, he is consciously saying, it's me. I am the sacrifice. It's not the blood of oxen this time. It's not, which is what was sprinkled on them uh, by Moses. It's not the blood of the lamb, which is what's put on the doorpost at the, uh, uh, the Passover. It's my blood. Now, they don't know how that's being shed or exactly what that means yet. But they're going to find out very soon. He probably has it very much in his mind. But uh, but they are seeing this connection between covenant and and Christ. And that's important because I think that's going to be what all those teachings in John 13 through 17 are about is Christ connecting us with him, the Holy Ghost and the Father uh, and his covenant and Christ are the two things that make those connections, right? The covenant has the power because of Christ's atoning sacrifice and so on. But I think that's a, a powerful element as we partake of the sacrament to recognize how much it is a covenant renewal. Uh, and we, we say, baptism, uh, we've been taught, it's not just baptism, all our covenants we're renewing um, at the sacrament. And uh, it, it is being connected with God through Christ's sacrifice uh, as we renew our covenants that's worth understanding and thinking about and i think it's what he was trying to teach his disciples there at the last supper so thanks for letting me go into that yeah. a little bit but uh you, i can't help but uh, th those are that's where my mind goes on this stuff so no i i love that i think that's powerful um and i i appreciate you making those connections uh it it, it is i mean it really is all about that that covenant and to try to bring all of these things kind of together, we've we've covered some ground as we start with, um, you know, who who Jesus is, where where his emphasis is during these final moments with his disciples, the emphasis on, you know, love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Uh, his his willingness. Um, to, to meet with his apostles, to, to teach them, like we've been talking about, to submit himself to the Father, to seek in every way possible to connect his disciples with the Father. Uh, I'm just looking, and as, as we think about that final um, time that he spends with the apostles and, and others in that upper chamber, uh, that, that question, Lord, is it I? And that kind of yearning that we have, Lord, is it this? We, we want to be better. We're seeking to be better. We want to continue to draw strength from him. Uh, and then the institution of the, the sacrament and the hope that it provides for us and the strength that we get. Um, we started our conversation with a story about a little child, and I want to maybe just end with a story about a little child that, for me, uh, ties some of these things together. So as I mentioned uh, in the beginning, my wife and I have six boys, and uh, this story happened when I think we had three and so the, I think they were probably five years old and three years old, uh, but we have a bonus room and we just kind of, we, that was the playroom. So we'd send the kids up there and say, all right, play, be nice, you know, and we would, uh, we would kind of not cross our fingers because things always got a little crazy up there. So within uh, just a few minutes of them being up there playing, uh, my, my second son runs down and he's crying and he's saying, dad. Uh, Bubba hit me. That's what he called his older brother. Bubba hit me. And so I called my son down and and I'm standing at the bottom of the stairs and he's sitting on like stair four. And I was like, Braxton, you know, what happened? And he's like, well, uh, he took my toy. 
And I was like, and? And he said, and so I hit him. And I was like, and that's what we need to talk about, son. You can't hit your brother. You know, hands are for loving and giving high fives and throwing a football and whatever. Like, you can't do that to your brother. And he's like, dad, I'm so sorry. I I, I just, I was frustrated. I won't do it again. Please, can I go back up and play? And uh, and he's like, I won't do it anymore. And I was like, all right, good. You know, see that you don't, son. And he goes upstairs. And to be honest, like, I'm feeling like father of the year at this point. I was like, yeah this parenting stuff is pretty easy. I just solved that issue. Uh, you know, as, as the kids would say, that's light work. I just kind of took yeah. care of it and sent them on their way. <clears throat> so within five minutes, he comes back. My, my second son comes down to get dad. He hit me again. He pushed me over. Okay, son, come here, sit down. And he sits in the exact same spot on the exact same step. And I'm standing in the same spot at the bottom of the stairs. And I said, what happened? And he said, he took this. And so I hit him. And I said, do you remember five minutes ago when you were sitting there and I was standing here and we had this little conversation and he's like, yeah. And I, I said, do you remember what I said? And he said, you told me not to hit him anymore. I said, do you remember what you said? I said, I would never do it again. And what did you do? I did it again. Okay, but you can't do that. You've got to be nice to your brother. And anyway, so we have this long conversation, long, probably like two minutes. Yeah, and long for says, long for a yeah, five-year-old. Exactly. Yeah. Uh and and for me, to be honest. And so uh so he's like, Dad, please just give me another chance. I promise I won't do it again. I promise, just please give me another chance. And I was like, All right, I'm gonna give you another chance. Now go up there and be kind to your brother. So he goes upstairs. This time they they lasted like 20 minutes until finally we hear crying again and he runs down. Dad, he did it again. And now I sit my son down in the same spot and I'm just thinking like, what is wrong with your brain child? How are we not, how are we not getting this? And, uh, and he said, I'm sorry, I got frustrated and this happened. And then he did this and I'm sorry. And I shouldn't have done it. Please. Can I, I, I promise I won't ever do it again. And I was like, I know you won't ever do it again for right now because you need to go to your room. And he makes like the long walk of shame, uh, you know, to time out in his bedroom. Now I sit down on the same stairs and I've just got my face kind of buried in my hands and I'm thinking, what is wrong with my child? And almost immediately I get this impression, Ryan, what is wrong with you? And I was like, that was unnecessary. Like, we're not talking about me. We're talking about my delinquent <laughs> five-year-old here. What, what is that? And almost immediately I just get this thought and I, and I was thinking about this early in our conversation. Like how many times have I gone before Heavenly Father and said, Father, I am so sorry I did this. Please forgive me. Yeah. Give me another chance. And what does he do? He forgives me. And uh, and what do I do? I do it again. And I come back. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I promise I'll never do it again. And I slip up again. Uh, and I come back please forgive me. Can I have another chance? And then while I'm sitting on those stairs, I was reminded of the hymn, uh, I stand all amazed at the love Jesus offers me. And then that next phrase, confused at the grace that so fully he proffers me. So as I look at these chapters, and as I think of discipleship, and I think of, of Jesus inviting us to, to love as he loves, to live as he lived, uh, ultimately to become perfect through him. Uh, I'm so grateful for his grace and for his mercy and for the opportunity that you and I have to come back again and again and again. 
And as we talk about the sacrament, how grateful I am that that every week uh, I I get to reflect on on my week and on my choices, and uh, and repent and rely desperately uh, on that grace and that enabling grace of the Savior. And I'm I'm grateful for Him, and I'm grateful for His atonement, His grace, and the the hope that it gives me. That uh, just Amen. Uh, we all need that. We all promise we won't do it again and do it again it's inherent in our natures and that's why he sent his son uh but every now and then we need to be reminded of how graceful he is and how often he is willing to work with us and and his phrases as often as we repent right so uh there i didn't see an end yeah. uh, or a limit on that phrase yeah. uh so that's i needed that reminder i'm sure everyone listening needed that reminder and and hopefully we all I uh, can think about both the Father and the Son and the sacrifice and the covenant and the connection and just keep coming back. So thank you, Ryan. Thanks so much. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. Well, we hope uh, our audience has been uh, uplifted and edified and that they can go and uplift and edify others. And so we also hope to, uh, to see or uh, listen to each other again next week. Uh, so thanks again, and we'll see you soon.